0: And the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show! G'day, welcome everyone. I'm Pete Warden. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty. Welcome, Steve. Hi everybody. Today we're going to talk about groupthink and social physics. So I think back to when I was uh, growing up in England and there was uh, quite a famous uh, anti-drugs campaign because to be frank, uh, drugs were quite commonplace in Britain in those, <laughs> in those days. was uh, a drug addict. <laughs> Um, let's cut this bit (laughs) we'll start from the beginning Uh, but there was uh, the campaign uh, British uh, viewers or listeners would know what I'm talking about there was a a TV show called Grange Hill and they had this thing called the Just Say No campaign (laughs) and one of the things (laughs) and one of the (laughs) things they uh, did was uh, they had in the studio. They got um, there were there were eleven stooges in a line that uh, sitting in a in seats, and then there was yeah. one of the guys from the show called uh, his name was Zamo. He was he played the drug addict in right. Great Chill. Stay with it. It's a good story. This <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what they did was they got one of the other guys um, uh, whose name was Roland, uh, who's the who was a drummer in real life, and they got him to hit this drum a dozen times, right. and then they said to each person in the in the line, right. How many times did he hit the hit the drum, and they all went thirteen thirteen, thirteen until they came to the guy at the end, Zamo, who wasn't in on the on the uh, pastiche if you like, and he said uh um." Yeah, 13. And then they said to him, why did he say 13? Because he, he hit the drum 12 times. He goes, oh, man, I knew it. Everybody, everybody yeah, else said Because that. everybody else said the same thing. And obviously, I think the point they were trying to make in a very convoluted way was um, it's difficult to be the person who's different. Yeah, and the yeah. peer
1: pressure leads to this form of groupthink. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. It feels really um, it feels really uncomfortable. to be, You know, to avoid groupthink, you've got to sort of be a contrarian you know, type of thinker. And it's 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 a really tough position to be in, you know, because you're naturally running against the crowd, you know, and that's it's a very unpleasant kind of feeling. It's much safer to run with the crowd than it is to make your own decision. Um, you know, like I think you mentioned in an earlier podcast, um, you know, Kane saying it's better to fail conventionally with everybody else rather than succeed unconventionally. Because it's a it's a sort of great risk to your own sort of personal ego. This is where that social physics stuff comes in. You know, you feel this intense pressure that you're wrong, even though um, even though you deeply believe that you're right.
0: So you mentioned a, um, a U.S. first lady there back just um, earlier on, yep. a few seconds ago, and. That's actually not a bad example. So Hillary Clinton, there was this uh, media group thing that, the, well, the election was, she was home and home, yeah, yeah. so there's no chance of uh, losing the election. And uh, it, it transpired that, well, actually, um, very few people predicted the outcome because there was this media kind of, it was the story, basically, the yep. next the next president will be. I think back to... Uh, business school and accountancy school and they always come up with these examples of business um, things that went well and things that went badly. I think for whatever reason, it was always Marks and Spencer in Britain. <laughs> Whether it was a good story or a bad story, it was always M&S. You could take the example of M&S or British Airways. That yeah. There was a, a big feeling for a long period of time that globalisation, global expansion was the way to go. Yeah. And M&S was opening stores in Singapore and Asia, and whereas what they should have done is just stick to the knitting of being the best at what they did in Britain, and um, but the group think was well, no, no. The, the world is yeah, going yeah. global, and we should do the same. It happens in business, it happens in life, it happens in investing.
1: Yeah, you get a lot at the moment. The business model is the network effect. Everybody's got to be everywhere, like Uber or uh, Netflix or you know WeWork and this sort of stuff. I think Starbucks was the first to start that sort of network model. Facebook is the real exponent of it. But the problem is it doesn't work at all levels. You know, so Uber is trying to get the network effect. But the problem for Uber is, for example, it doesn't work that well because it relies on the, the drivers, you know, and that sort of stuff. But the main point being, what you do is you look at other industries and go, oh, that works for them. We'll translate it into our industry. And it doesn't work. But like you say, the big uh, consultancy firms take on a business model and then start preaching to everybody. Um, and it's not suitable for everybody, but everybody goes along with it because, well, you know, that's they're the experts, they should know, you know, they reckon it's working for blah, blah, blah. So that's how you sort of partially get the group think idea. You know, everybody just thinking, you know, like you say, your mate Zamo, you know, it's like, no, 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 it was definitely 12 and everyone's going 13, 13. You start to go. Well, yeah, it must have been thirteen then. Okay. So it's funny you mentioned the uh,
0: the big consultancy firm. So Stephen and I went to uh, Dublin, and it was Gay Pride Week. It's not what it sounds like. <laughs> it, it, we were just just good friends. Just but friends. <laughs> we, we were actually there seeing uh, one of our business partners in in Dublin, and it w- it was coincidentally, I should say, it was Gay Pride Week, and um, there was a big advert up from one, well, at least uh, two of the big four accounting firms uh, supporting. the the week, and obviously that's a big um, step forward from where things were 20 or 30 years ago. But it made me laugh when I saw one of the adverts from, I think, PwC saying be yourself, be different. And I was thinking, well, good luck with that if you turn up to uh, Pricewaterhouse with a ponytail I'm only and coming earring. two days a
1: week this week, guys, yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that's it. I think, um, you know, as we touched on in the previous episode, we do like to think we're individuals, but in reality we tend to be more similar. Yeah, yeah. And um, so and groupthink and social physics ties into all that. One of the things I want to explore today, uh, because we sort of mentioned some of these ideas in, a previous, in the, the previous episode, uh, I wanna to touch on the point of leverage and Buchanan because uh people might say, well, yeah, sure you've you've given us these examples where there's groupthink and people like to run with the bulls and yep. you know and that's why we get property cycles and that's why we get stock market cycles. Yep. Uh but people might say, Well, yeah, but what if you're wrong? And what if you know you you're warning about a market peak in twenty nineteen and, and what if actually there was just a very temporary downturn and da-da-da. Yep. Uh, The the point of leverage, though, is is a point that I want to explore here, um, because obviously these days you've got hedge funds using leverage. You've got um, individuals (laughs) using leverage. Everybody's Property investors. (laughs) I want to to talk about some of the impacts of leverage on market cycles, because we know very well in real estate that the flow of credit and the supply of credit amplifies the cycle on the up and downside, but same in stocks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Buchanan is a really good author who works off this stuff about social physics, you know, and how we mimic each other and follow each other into, you know, certain down certain avenues. And um, one thing he explains, and another guy explains uh, Philip Ball in a book called uh, Critical Mass, great read, they explain this idea of what hedgies do is if you've got a competing hedge fund, and let's say, you know, Pete's hedge fund is making 11%, right, and I'm making 9 my clients will leave me and go to you, right? Because you're making more money. So the solution for me is to leverage up, right? To try and match those returns. What that showed was that leverage smooths out the volatility. So the price is all rising like an escalator, right? So nice, bright up, what could possibly be going wrong? Everybody's making money. It's really great. The problem comes like the sand pile, you know, you put one grain of sand too much on it, and then the whole lot drops, and that's the problem with leverage. So but, you, you don't necessarily need to know
0: what the grain of sand is. No, but something's going to tip it yep. over. I and think again, um,
1: it's always coming back to that that sort of numbers stuff. You know, like you've got to look at the risk and just say, you know, how much am I going to make from here? And the problem is, if you've, you know, if you've made a bucket load, you're pretty keen on making another bucket load. You get greater risk tolerance, but for hedge fund managers, they're leveraging up. Which is pushing up the market, and then they're usually the first out. Whereas, you know, the retail, the poor old retail investor who got in last is usually the last out and does their dough. So, stop me if I
0: go off on a tangent here, as I am wont to do sometimes, <laughs> Stephen. But um, this is interesting because in in one of the earlier episodes, we talked about the well one strategy, yeah, and. There's this sort of theory out there, well, the stock market is random, you can't predict anything, which if you're observing a market day to day, it certainly can appear that way. But when you take a step back and you look at it, every time the market falls 10 or 20%, the volatility goes through the roof. Roof, And as you said, leverage has this effect where it tends to smooth the market gains on the way up or just smooth the market on the way up. But on the way down, we get these big jolts. And That's partly because markets are driven by human behaviour because we tend to panic if we see the market's down 20 or 30%, which is kind of natural. Um, But also because the impact
1: of leverage on the way down has a, a kind of reverse effect, if you like. It amplifies the upside and it amplifies the downside. And people are always saying, oh, you've got to be careful of leverage. And you do have to be, but you can use leverage wisely, right? But you, again, you've just got to be sensible about it and not be too greedy about it. That's part of the problem. Fundies use it to leverage up because they're chasing the returns, right? And they're trying to outdo the competition.
0: It's a key point, actually. One of the things we, when we talked about managing your own money right the way back in episode one, yep. one of the key benefits is that you don't have to benchmark yourself against the ASX 300 yeah. or the S&P 500 you can simply focus on growing your wealth and avoiding the big drawdowns. Whereas uh, fund managers often don't have that luxury. Um, These days, I mean, we get monthly reports sitting in the inbox, oh, the market was at 1.2 and we only did 1.1. And it's like, well, (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, this is effectively irrelevant to your ability to to grow wealth. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, and I I suppose one of the the key points about the leverage in the market is that when you get, um, and I think we mentioned previously, when you... Think about football stadiums. If you get that stampede for the exit, um, it can get pretty messy, uh, especially in markets where there's leverage involved because, well, as you said, it, it can cause these big jolts, but it also it can amplify the daily moves. Um, yep. So, that, I mean, that's one of the key risks at the moment. We've seen a lot of leverage in the market in recent years as people chase returns. And there's been almost no volatility for a long period of time. And now um, in early 2020, big spikes, in volatility, you got
1: yeah, you got lots of um, you got lots of turbulence going on, and the important part of groupthink is just realizing its influence. Because again, if you look at history and you look at those patterns, you you get to understand that you don't need to predict what the you know what the catalyst is going to be, right? All you need to do, as sort of Buchanan and others are pointing out, is look. It's getting it's getting risky, right? The more sand you put on the pile, the bigger chance there is that it will collapse. Can't tell you when, but we're just telling you at some stage it's going to collapse. You know, that's where you don't want to be in the sand pile. And that's part of the problem of groupthink, because what you do is you're sitting there by yourself going, you know, man, this market looks risky. But then everybody else is going, oh, it's all good. Let's all jump in. You know, so the market shoots up 3% or 4% in the day. Immediately, you've got a feeling of, oh, Maybe I'm
0: wrong. Yeah, and also uh, every media article will have to find a reason to explain why why is the market up 3%? Oh, because somebody said there might be a vaccine in 2022. So the market went up 3% because of that. But obviously, um, people start to doubt themselves because we tend to just go with the crowd. Uh, So there's this concept of PLUs, people like us. (laughs) We all like PLU. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I guess I guess that just goes back to almost what we were talking about in another episode about individual decision making. Yeah. Um, whereas in reality, as you just touched on there, we, we tend to be very much influenced by what's going on around us.
1: Yep. I think the thing is, you think about it, you know, you want to go to a dinner party every night where you argue vociferously about various issues. I You're mean, not... you know, it's it's bloody hard work. Um, and it's antagonising because it involves your subjective belief and how you interpret facts and that sort of stuff. So it's much easier to, you know, go where PLUs, you know, people like us are, and that they did it in a, a study. A guy called uh, Schelling, I think his name was, but what he, what he said was even through just random behaviour, what you find in suburbs is that they become dominant in whether it's, you know, class or races and stuff. And he said, it's not, it's not deliberate. It is simply out of people saying, I've got a tolerance level. Now there's too many, you know, insert country people here. And so I'm moving out. And I think they call it white flight in places. Now it happens because of the way that the dynamics are, not because of any sort of, I'm a racist, so I'm leaving my suburb. It's basically saying, well, hang on, I want to be with people like me, and so therefore, you know, I'm going to I'm going to seek those people yeah, out. Yeah, completely. Actively.
0: Yeah, well, you've got an Irish surname and heritage. I obviously British, and you know, you look at somewhere like Bondi Junction. It's it's British and Irish backpackers, and then yeah. the Brits settle in Queens Park or yeah. whatever. You know, I love going to Kamsey for you know Vietnamese noodle dish, but I'm not going to live there because yeah, I'd yeah. be the only I'd be the only person of my background in that area and that's that's just the nature of it and just as you said, I'm not going to go to a dinner party and start in New Farm or something, not that I do such things, but I'm not going to go there and start spouting off a, a contrarian yeah, viewpoint yeah. because it's, what it's, you find is the more contrarian a viewpoint is, the more quickly it is cast aside.
1: Yeah, and it's hard going. If you're forever running against the crowd, it leads to sort of being fairly feeling, fairly isolated. If, you, if you're constantly being contrarian, you basically get to be seen as somebody who's difficult, you know. And, and the other thing I found from my point of view is you feel like sort of saying to people, no, 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 that's not the way it really works. You then come to be seen as sort of a bit antagonistic, whereas it's much easier just to be with people that you're comfortable with. And also energy-wise, it's much more, you know, we're all going with the flow, we're all having a good time and we're all having a joke. That's much more um, easier for us and relaxing rather than, you know, sitting around a table and arguing about, you know, prices or stocks or, you know, stuff like that. Well, that's a, that's a, I've got some personal experience of this because we,
0: we actually had a blog that goes along with our book low rates high returns and in the in the blog in early 2020 and late 2019 we were saying well look here's the here's the history of market cycles cape ratios at 33 you better get yourself ready for a massive drawdown here because yep. that's what history shows and of course the the chat forums lit up with my surname <laughs>
1: <laughs> some lovely comments <laughs> but um, rest in peace john bogle
0: yeah you don't uh, you know you, you can be accused of being um, you know, just a, some kind of a wild man because you're going against the general view mm. that you should just buy at any price. Um, and I've seen this the same in some of the Facebook groups where if somebody says, well, actually, I've decided that I don't want a dollar cost average into this market because, heck, US unemployment rate's heading to 20 or 30 percent and markets are near an all-time high. And the comments just, you know, they they're pile on. <laughs> Light up the switchboard. You're a heretic, you know, uh, for, for suggesting such a thing. Um, now, it, obviously, being around people like us and supporting our viewpoint, it feels comfortable and it's, uh, it gives you a nice warm feeling, but it actually doesn't really help you. If your goal is um, um, you know, actually maximising your returns, <coughs> yeah. then that, that's not going to help you.
1: Well, not everyone's the same, in the same position. And that's the, that's the thing that we sort of you know, stress. And what people should look at is about their own Position. You can't say buy and hold works for a 25 year old and say it works for a 65 year old, right? Because they're at different positions in life. They've got different needs. There's all of that that you've got to individualise. But once you individualise the message, you take take away a lot of the stuff that's relevant. And so you've got to deal with the particular, right? Rather than just make a generalised statement. Oh, what you do is you just buy and hold. Oh, right, what everybody, yep, everybody, just by and whole. It's like, well, hang on, it doesn't work for everybody, yeah, but it works for most people, yeah, but I'm not most people, so you've got to you've got to deal with the specific, but to do that, as we say, the problem is you then sort of feel like you're always on the outer, you know, oh, well, that's good for you, Pete, but for me, it's different. you know, so it it becomes energy zapping to be and and again, as we talk about system one and two. It's much easier just to go with the flow rather than it is to say, oh, well, let me sit down and have a think about that.
0: Yeah, so I think that's a really good point because um, you often get people, um, you know, biting back at you saying, well, I'm doing this. And yeah, yeah. Them, it's like, well, that's exactly the point. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Um, good for you. One, there are nine different personality types. Yeah. Um, two, as we talk about quite often, the Kelly criterion will tell you, Well, yes, you place bigger bets when the market's cheap, but if you're close to your wealth goal or if you've reached your wealth goal, you don't need to take any risk. That's
1: exactly right. And
0: this is something, and no wonder there are so many arguments online because there are nine different types of personality, but everybody's at a different stage in their journey. Yep. And uh, you've really got to find the the system and the systematic plan that works for you rather than, uh, you know, you can't serve uh, multiple masters, but you know, there's no good going onto a chat forum and someone saying, "Well, this is the way I've done it, so you've got to do it the same." Yeah, yeah. Because Bob's plan might be right for Bob, and Steve's plan will be right I for made, Steve. I
1: made money doing this, so you should do it too. And it's like but that's not me. So, and that's where most arguments are, even between you know couples and marriages and stuff. The arguments are often about you don't think the same way. Every one of the nine types thinks differently about money, right? But Every one of the nine types that the people in our group who do our program, they're all two types. and so' there's, a, there's a definitely a, a commonality there, which works. But the commonality is that they they're all individuals and see um, you know we develop the plan that way because someone's 30 and someone's 60, someone's not busy, someone's really busy, someone just wants to make money, someone wants to look at stocks every day. So there's a whole different requirement that you can tweak individually without being, you know, on the outer.
0: That's probably a good place to wrap it up, is that it's very, very difficult to uh, practice contrarian thinking. Yeah. I, I think it was that famous interview question, what what important truth do very few people agree with you on? It's one of those, it's like facing a googly in the interview because you, you're trying to think, well, what does the interviewer want me to say? And yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to be contrarian against the, an opinion that he has, whereas... Yeah. I guess the question is designed to think, to test whether you can be a contrarian thinker and have the conviction, uh, but very few people have that. And especially when we're influenced by uh, work colleagues, our social circle, the media. Yep. Um, so in 2019, we were probably on the outer for saying, well, look at, you know, markets are <laughs> ridiculous valuations, but that's where you've got to have um, the conviction of your own systematic approach and also take it into the context of your own situation. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's the important part is sort of being, uh, again, I always sort of bring it back to this systematic stuff, you know, you've got to develop your own process. And then if it works and you've got solid evidence that it works, you know, a a long period of time, then that's what you want to stick with. The hard part is everybody is a contrarian until the market moves in the different direction. Then they start going, oh, maybe I shouldn't have sold out of the market. You know, well, yeah, I know it's really expensive, but it's just gone back up 25%. Maybe I'm missing out again. It's like, no, you're not missing out because, you know, it's back being expensive again. It's again, just again, being always influenced by someone else out there. If you if you keep your own counsel, do your own thinking, you know, look at your own personality, you'll find you'll be a lot better off than you will just tagging along with the group because I think it was uh, Templeton who said, you know, if you want superior returns, well, you've got to do something else to, you know, other than what the group is doing. Mm. always
0: made me laugh back in the day on uh, Hot Copper chat forums about 15 years ago and people used to put their – Investment style contrarian. You look yeah. at the next guy. Investment style contrarian, and it's like, hang on a sec. We've got a hundred contrarians, and everybody's <laughs> they all <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I was suspended from the forum in the end for flaming or uh, abuse I'm or sure. something. <laughs> so, uh, that's it for today. So we've been talking about group think and social physics, and how it is difficult to tread your own path, but with a systematic approach and by taking into account your own personality and your own stage of life. And your wealth goal, then you can successfully do that. That's it for today. See you next time. Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers.